The following sermon is by Hunter Hayes, Associate Pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Hunter. I have the privilege of wrapping up Philemon. I got to start it, and now uh, I get to finish it, and Lord willing, I'll do that, and I won't spend the entire time just trying to get there. Uh, It's a letter that is a little gem in our Bibles, and we talked about this last time. It's sometimes neglected. It's so short that it doesn't even require a chapter reference in uh, the bulletin or uh, on the screen. So um, I'm sure some people probably stayed away because they thought I was preaching five chapters this week. Um, But uh, take heart. We are doing Philemon 17 through 25 and it would have been Philemon 1, 17 through 25, but since there's no chapter references, it doesn't say that in your bulletin. All right, I got a question for you. Have you ever been wronged by someone and found yourself wrestling with the need to extend forgiveness? Uh, put yourself in the shoes of someone who is needing to forgive someone else in these scenarios. I'm going to give you three different categories. There's easy forgiveness, and it's, um, you know, think about someone saying, oh, you know, I'm sorry I forgot to pick up that ingredient that you needed on the way home. Uh, the recipe is either going to have to go without it or we're going to have to have something else for dinner tonight. Uh, I've nor- I know of this because I've probably done it uh, to my wife or something like that. But that's, that's something, you know, you can, you can let it slide. You can forgive, right? Or, you know, I'm sorry I was late. I'm sorry I was late for this meeting. Um, of course, I guess context is key because if it's like, I'm sorry I was late for our wedding, you know, that's, that's a different thing. But, but again, bear with me for, for easy forgiveness, you know, if I'm, if I'm a few minutes late, that's easy to forgive. Um, or, you know, I'm sorry I raised my voice in that conversation. I, I got a little, uh, beyond myself and I, I should have been, uh, what should have had a different tone. Okay. Then these are examples of more difficult forgiveness. Um, I'm sorry I crashed your car. Uh, you know, you might be able to have a good laugh about it someday later once uh, insurance and all that stuff has worked out. Um, I'm sorry I talked about you behind your back. I'm sorry I spread that rumor about you. Or uh, I'm sorry I called you names. Uh, this is These are things that you might forgive, but it's, it's, it's going to take a little something from you to be able to forgive someone. And then there's forgiveness that really hurts. Um, so I'm sorry, uh, I'm sorry I stole from you. Sorry, I stole that thing that belonged to you. Um, I'm sorry I cheated on you. I'm sorry I betrayed your trust. You see, there are, there are differing degrees of things that we need to forgive people for, and sometimes it's harder to forgive. And the last category that I mentioned, the, the, the really difficult forgiveness, I think, is, uh, is Philemon's circumstance of forgiveness that Paul is calling for uh, in this letter. Onesimus ran away from Paul. Um, he was his, his household servant. Um, Onesimus had abandoned his duty. He had no doubt uh, done great financial harm to Philemon by his absence alone. Um, it's possible also that he stole from Philemon, um, not to mention the 
upsetting of the whole household dynamics and structure there. Um, we see that the, the letter of Philemon is addressed not just to Philemon himself, but also to Aphia and Archippus, who are potentially members of that household who would also be affected by Onesimus' deed. Um, not only this, Onesimus probably offended the whole church that met in his house. They no doubt would have known who he was and uh, would have been aware of his absence, and that would have been felt. And so as this letter is being read to uh, Philemon and his uh, family and to the entire church, uh, they all probably have little uh, things that they're thinking as well, and maybe some of them are harboring resentment. And so when Paul calls for forgiveness, it's not an easy forgiveness, not at all. Um, in fact, let's just consider um, what normally would have happened to slaves in the, the first century Roman Empire, a culture that's very different from our own. Um, some things that would have happened to uh, slaves who had run away. Um, there were, there's evidence that sometimes uh, slaves could be uh, given tattoos. This was a, a sort of common way of dealing with it. Um, your misdeed was... Uh, etched into your body um, so that people always knew, oh, this is a slave who ran away. Uh, let's keep track of what he did. Uh, let this be an example to anyone else. If you run away, uh, you get this sign on your body. There's also evidence of uh, branding. Branding was a, a common way of dealing with runaways, uh, fugitivi, as they're called in the Latin. Um, another... Uh, a, as I was researching this, another thing that came up was a collar, actually, that could be placed around uh, the necks of a slave that actually um, also had some sort of inscription talking about what they had done and sort of served as a lesson to them. Um, just so you know, if you ever run away again, um, you, you know, it's going to be worse for you. Um, Roman slave owners could also, since, since they were viewed as property, they could also elect to punish their slaves uh, by death even. So they could uh, hand them over to crucifixion. This was a common method of dealing with uh, slaves who had done something uh, against their owners. Uh, they could even be handed over to the wild beasts and uh, placed in the arena. Um, so it conjures up ideas that you think about, maybe if you think about Christian martyrs and how uh, the world used to deal with Christians. Um, so all of these are, are in play as possible scenarios. I'm not saying that Philemon was necessarily evaluating any of these, but it's just helpful for us to know uh, what would have commonly had been expected for uh, someone like, uh, like Onesimus, who had run away from his master, um, and why there would probably be even a lot of pressure. Um, I don't know why someone would want to return to their master if, uh, if they weren't absolutely forced to. But this letter from uh, Paul to Philemon is, is explaining why Onesimus is back and also giving Philemon guidance in how to deal with him in a Christian way and how the gospel now impacts every single relationship, uh, including this one that might seem like it's in a culture that's very different than ours. And I, I know there's some things to bridge in the gap, but this still gives us a model for what our interpersonal relationships are like in the church because of the cross and what we all share in common through Christ. So remember, Onesimus has run away, but he's a changed man. Why is he changed? Because he's come to know Christ. He's come to know the Savior. The same Savior that Philemon knows. The same Savior that Paul is in chains serving. And so Onesimus is a changed man. He's coming back. And here's how Paul wants him to be dealt with. 
Um, as Christians, we need to be quick to forgive each other because we have been forgiven so much. Okay, we, um, Peter once asked the Lord in Matthew 18, 22, you know, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. And Jesus said, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times, or 70 times seven. Um, which Jesus is basically saying, you need to forgive your brother over and over and over again. There's not a limit to Christian forgiveness. So you might say to me, Hunter, uh, you know, this person that I need to forgive, you just, you don't, you don't understand. I've forgiven them in the past, but they just keep taking advantage of my forgiveness. If I forgive them now, they'll never learn their lesson. So I need to, I need to be a little bit more harsh in my penalty. And to be honest, the book of Philemon does not deal with the extent of forgiveness or how often we need to forgive somebody. Okay. It's, it's a different circumstance. So I don't want to, this is not that sermon, okay? But just a few thoughts as we, as to, to maybe allow that, that little voice in your head, if it's there, um, to sit on the sidelines and just listen to Philemon. A few thoughts, okay? Forgiveness is not turning a blind eye to injustice that's been done in the past. It is choosing to bear the pain of that injustice and extending grace and love without demanding anything in return, okay? So you could say it this way. Forgiveness is costly. It costs you something. When I, when I give you those examples, there's sort of the cheap ones at the beginning and there's the ones that cost a little bit more, right? And they're harder for us to give. Uh, forgiveness is also not the same as negligence, okay? So you're not neglecting your concern for someone and you're not just blindly allowing them to abuse you and take advantage of your kindness. Um, I think this is sort of illustrated by the fact that in the same chapter where Jesus said that we must forgive 70 times 7, he also told us that if our brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. So we are to go and tell our brother, oh, you know, I you sinned against me, and but what are, what are you doing in that? You're actually seeking to restore the relationship. You're seeking to repair uh, what has been uh, marred by wrongdoing against you, okay? But Christians do this seeking to forgive and seeking to restore, right? We don't do it seeking to be paid back and seeking to get vengeance, right? This is something that if you're a Christian, you instantly have a better understanding of this because every single one of us can identify personally with Onesimus because we've all been running away at some point and the Lord turned us around and caused us to come back to him. All right, so I asked you if you've ever struggled with forgiving somebody. Have you ever borne a grudge against somebody? Have you ever held on to something? Um, you know, so-and-so said something nasty to me, and you know what? I'll never get over it. I'll never get over that. I'll never get over how they made me feel. I'll always remember how they treated me, and it's always going to make me view them with suspicion. I can't possibly ever get over that, Right? See, that's the most unchristian attitude that we could possibly have. Being unwilling to forgive, harboring bitterness, harboring a grudge. Okay, and I think, I think Philemon speaks to us. And I think as we get to the heart of the letter here in these verses, in, in verse 17 starting through 22, I think we've gotten to the heart where Paul has been building up to this big thing that he's going to ask Philemon to do. And here in the heart of the letter, I think Paul gives us a model of Christian forgiveness 
in our relationships within the church. And I think it also challenges us to approach our Christian walk with more seriousness and commitment. So as we consider these things, as we look at our text today, let me give you uh, just something to hang your hat on. Two characteristics of the forgiveness that Paul is requesting that Philemon extend to Onesimus. So two characteristics of forgiveness. First of all, he's He's requesting forgiveness that is motivated by gospel cooperation. So look at verse 17 with me. He says, so if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. And to fully appreciate what this verse is is saying, it's helpful to know um, what has already been written in the letter. That's why we spent two weeks ago, we spent a lot of time really digging into um, what Paul was saying in verse Six, where he, t- he said, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective. That sharing, it should be taken in the sense of partnership. Paul is saying, look, since we are partners in the gospel, I'm praying that our partnership will now have an impact. This partnership that we share. And so when he gets to verse 17, he's saying, look, if you consider me your partner, as we are partners in this, this gospel ministry, and think about what that would mean to be a partner with Paul. He's a man who is in, literally in chains. Well, maybe not literally in chains. He's in house arrest in Rome. But he's in prison, and he was put there because he was sharing the gospel. He was actually on his way to Jerusalem to uh, send uh, relief to uh, the Jerusalem church. And he was, the, he was captured there by people who were against his message. Um, and they, they put him in jail. And he ends up finding his way in Rome. And he's in a Roman prison now. In a in, in house arrest, but he's really put his life on the line for the sake of the gospel, right? So to be a partner with Paul, and Philemon would be aware of these things, to be a partner with, with Paul is to be engaged in the same fight as Paul. We Look, we're starting to spread the good news about Jesus. He rose again from the dead. Um, the, the entire world needs to know this message, and we need to put our lives on the line. And so Paul is saying, look, if you're if you're a partner, if you're engaged in this fight with me, this is what I want you to do. Verse 17, receive him as you would receive me. So it's forgiveness that is motivated by gospel co- cooperation. And I think this is great. This is, uh, this is Paul's art of peacemaking, right? Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, right? Um, Onesimus and Philemon, their, their issue is not just a separate thing that Paul is acting as an impartial judge, saying, okay, well, you two have a dispute, and I'm over here, and um, I'm looking at it, and this is how I see this. No, this, this has become personal to Paul himself. I mean, he said things like, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. So he has a, a relationship with Onesimus. Um, he says, I'm sending him back to you in verse 12, sending my very heart. Paul is engaged in this, right? It's a, it's a personal thing to him. It's not just a, um, let me solve this dispute um, off on the side, and I don't really care what happens. No, it's, I deeply, deeply care for my brother here. And I, I deeply care for you, Philemon, because y- you have refreshed the hearts of the saints, and I want you to refresh my heart, too, as well. I, I want to see the gospel working itself out in how you're going to deal with this situation. You could paraphrase it like this, verse 17. If we are partners in gospel ministry, 
then grasp the impact that your forgiveness would have on me personally, Paul is saying. It would, it would give me no greater joy than to hear that you have received your brother Onesimus as if he were myself. As if I, Paul, the apostle, the one who cares so much for your spiritual benefit, the one that you revere and regard highly, receive Onesimus like he would receive me. That's asking a lot, is it not? If Onesimus has, has fled, has abandoned his duty, and has, has got, caused this great cost to Philemon, and even possibly stole money from him, how would you receive someone like that? Would you be re- willing to roll out the red carpet for them when they came back? Say, come on in. Come on in, brother. Okay, so forgiveness that's motivated by gospel cooperation. And then the second thing, the second characteristic is forgiveness that is modeled by gospel redemption. Forgiveness that is modeled by gospel redemption. So he says, receive him as you would receive me. And we've, we've talked about this, but the expectation would be for severe treatment for someone like this. Uh, it would actually, it might be argued that it's important to treat someone who would run away like this uh, harshly because you want to set example for, for everyone else, right? For all we know, Philemon could have had more household slaves or maybe just everybody in his community would have been expecting, oh, well, you know, make sure he learns his lesson and make sure everyone else learns their lesson. That if you, uh, if you do something like this, you're going to get punished, right? But Paul wants him to receive him as receive Onesimus as if it was Paul himself. And doesn't that, doesn't that also kind of picture what Christ has done for us? We are the ones who were running away, who were uh, sinning against the Lord, uh, caring nothing for uh, who he is and, and what he has uh, laid out and established in his law. And Christ himself came and offered himself willingly on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And then he actually takes us by the hand and walks us to the throne of God and says, receive him as if it were me. Uh, and this is, of course, theological, but I think a, a verse that helps with this is 2 Corinthians 5.21, which says that... Um, I mean, I can usually quote it from memory, but I'm just going to read it so I don't butcher it. 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's, that is such a succinct uh, definition of the heart of the gospel. I don't think you could get it any better. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we've done nothing to earn our righteousness before God. We've done nothing. You could say it this way. We've done nothing that could get us into heaven. So when I ask people, what is your confidence for getting into heaven? If you die today and God asks you, why should I let you in? What are you going to say? I would say, I have nothing in myself. It's all in Christ. Christ has done everything on my behalf. He lived a perfect life. He obeyed the Father to the point of death, death on a cross. And he rose again. He conquered death. And that's the only prayer I have. 
because I am unholy. I am unrighteous. But he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. So this, this forgiveness is modeled by gospel redemption. And I, I love thinking about the, the whole scenario, right? Onesimus was, was running away. <laughs> when he was running, he surely did not have in mind, oh, I'm going to return there someday. No, he was trying to get, probably put as much distance as he could between himself and his, 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 uh, owner. And he gets to Rome, which is, you know, a thousand miles away. And he's in this thriving metropolitan city, hopefully going to make a name for himself or, or, or build himself up. And he comes to faith in Christ. And now he's going to return to Philemon. What's that return going to be like? Listen to Isaiah 55, 6, because I think this pictures the return of every Christian, everyone who's come to know Christ, to the Father. It says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon These are the words of the gospel, right? When we're caught in our sin, when we have no other way, we realize that we've offended a holy God and that to turn back to him could risk him just obliterating us. We turn to him in the expectation that he will abundantly pardon and forgive. Right? So, so I'm, I'm, I'm not, uh, this, this is a big point when I say that if you're a Christian, you can uniquely understand this forgiveness that Paul is asking for because you have experienced it yourself in your own life. You have been forgiven much. You have come to know Christ because you have turned from your wicked ways to the Father and have experienced that abundant pardon that he gives. And so when Paul says in verse 18, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Man, this is, this is again picturing the gospel, right? Have you ever been so upset by a crime that you saw on TV that you just wanted to see the person who committed it punished? You just wanted to see them go to jail or worse. <laughs> I mean, I, I know sometimes my blood rises and I get a little angry when I see the kind of heinous crimes that this world puts out all the time, right? Can you just imagine somebody for the first time reading this letter and hearing Paul, Paul the apostle saying, if he has wronged you or owes you anything, charge that to my account? You might be upset on two counts. First, Paul doesn't owe anything. That would be unjust for Paul to have to pay for it. And number two, Onesimus just gets off scot-free. But do you see Paul's heart here? Do you see a man who has been changed by the gospel? Do you see a man who was a Pharisee of Pharisees and a, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church? You know, he's killed Christians at one point and the Lord 
redeemed him on the road to Damascus and turned him around and has made him um, the greatest, most influential proponent of Christianity who ever lived, besides Christ himself. Right? This is, this is uh, a vein that you're able to think in if you are a Christian, right? And if you're somebody who has experienced much forgiveness. It reminds me of the parable of Jesus where he talks about, um, you know, if uh, two people are forgiven a debt, but one of them is forgiven $100 and one of them is forgiven $1,000, which one do you think will love the person who forgave him more? Well, it's the one who was forgiven the greater debt, Right? Yeah, if, if you understand the, the significance of the forgiveness that Paul is asking for here, I think you understand the heart of the gospel. Because I think it pictures the heart of the gospel. Christ died for sinners, the just for the unjust. He took sin's harsh penalty for us so that we could be saved. And Paul is saying, charge it to my account. I'll take responsibility for this. And it's not an empty promise at all. Look at verse 19. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. That's almost like a signature, right? <laughs> it's almost like th- this, is, this can now be considered a legal document. If Onesimus owes you anything, Philemon, charge it to my account. And you got to be thinking, where does Paul have the money if he's in prison? <laughs> well, we know he was a tent maker, so maybe he had something stored up. But what I love about this is that it shows, it really shows how Paul, uh, thought in terms of, uh, value, right? I just see Paul as not caring at all about the money in his bank account. He is paid in eternal rewards. And this should be the perspective that we're all striving for as Christians, to think of it as more valuable just to see a Christian grow in grace to be able to participate in that, to reap the heavenly reward of bearing fruit, of helping someone bear fruit in their lives. Because if you think about it, God's in control of our bank account anyways, right? He can bless us. He can take away. As Christians, we should be people who are surrendered to however the Lord wants to use our time and our talents, our money, we're willing, I mean, as a Christian, he owns all that, right? Christ owns everything that we have and can do with it as he wills. He can also choose to bless us. That's great. But do we still feel it in our hearts a little bit when we're asked to give, right? And it doesn't just have to be money, right? When we're asked to give a little bit more of our time because here's a brother who needs help or here's a sister who needs an arm around her shoulder or something like that, right? If it costs us a little bit more of the things that we value, are we willing to give those up to serve Christ? And I think Paul, you know, Paul the aged, right, as he says, um, as uh, Roland covered for us last week, I think Paul in his old age has really gotten the value thing down. He values uh, Christians and their growth in Christ uh, more than anything. He says, I write this with my own hand, I'll repay it. And then there's kind of this little comment where he says, to say nothing of you owing me even your own self. It's kind of like a nudge, nudge, 
Philemon, remember, um, you know, maybe this is referring to Philemon coming to faith in Christ through Paul, directly or indirectly. It could just be through Paul's ministry that Philemon himself will now have to think, yes, you know, I'm only a Christian because of Paul. And wow, you know, I've been given so much. Maybe I ought to extend grace and forgiveness to someone else. And maybe these other things, this, this time and this money that I've lost, maybe it's not as significant. And then look at verse 20. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Do you see what Paul is asking for here? He's asking to be paid in heavenly currency. <laughs> he says, refresh my heart. He's telling to Philemon, the one who has refreshed the hearts of the saints. In verse 7, the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. He's sending his very heart. It's actually a pain to Paul to send Onesimus away. He'd, he'd love just to have him in his life. Um, he certainly sees him as useful for ministry. But here he is saying, Philemon, it will just give me the greatest joy if I get the news that Onesimus came back and you received him no longer as a slave, but as more than a slave, a brother, a beloved brother in Christ. How blessed it is when brothers live in harmony together. And this is what I want to hear about. That will give me joy, even in my imprisonment, even in my chains, if you'll refresh my heart by doing this. Okay, so we looked at those two aspects of forgiveness that Paul is asking for. It's forgiveness that is forgiveness that's motivated by gospel cooperation and forgiveness that's modeled by gospel redemption. So now I just want to conclude with some thoughts um, of, you know, what, what ought we to learn from Philemon and what, what should we put into practice in our own lives? And if we've learned the lesson of the letter of Philemon, how will it impact how we live in the here and now? So what difference does it make? Okay. And my answer to that is it will lead to more committed Christianity. If you really understand it, you will become a more committed Christian. I want to be careful to distinguish here. I'm not saying that, um, it will, it will make you a Christian because you'll become more faithful or something like that. No. It's only possible to become a more committed Christian because of the faith that you already have. Look at, look what Paul is telling Philemon to do, even as he wants him to grow in Christ. He's, he's asking him to forgive his brother. And he's, he's hoping the best, certainly, for Philemon. But this is all because Philemon already has faith. He's already come to know Christ. So verse 5, um, I hear of your love and the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus. So when we talk about becoming more committed Christians, it can be easy for us sometimes as Christians to hear that and go, well, you're just giving me a lot of a lot of legalistic kind of, here's what I ought to do. And, and just hear me what I'm saying. I'm not telling you that these are things you need to do to earn your favor with God and, uh, sort of become saved. Like, I hope that you didn't walk in here today going, yeah, I'm not really sure where I stand with Christianity and I'm, I'm, you know, I don't know if I believe in Christ, but yeah, I want to do these things and become a better person. No, not at all. Not at all. That, that couldn't be further from the truth. I'm asking believers who believe in Christ, who have received the forgiveness that Onesimus is hopefully going to receive 
receive that forgiveness from God because we've placed our faith in Christ to now commit more to our Christianity. And let me give you a few points that help flesh this out, okay? So how, what are some ways that this passage is, that this passage helps us to become more committed Christians? Well, one, I think we need to recognize our partnership with others in gospel ministry. So verse 17, if you consider me your partner, receive this brother, right? This whole act of forgiveness is based on partnership, right? And in the church, this is very practical because it helps guard us against the thinking that only the professionals are responsible for ministry, right? <laughs> you know, that could be a temptation here at Emmanuel. I pray it's not, but I know it could be that, you know, we have staff that are paid and we have elders who are, um, you know, they're not paid, but they're also the elders. So why don't we just let them do the ministry? They're the ones who signed up for this, right? Well, no, that, that, that's totally foreign to this concept of Christianity. We are all partners in this because we have all been redeemed and we are all serving the Lord Christ. Certainly some of us are, um, you know, maybe gifted with the, the, the time to be able to devote, you know, more to this. Um, but we should all be giving and participating in this work as partners, right? We're doing it together. And then in personal relationships, if we recognize our partnership with others in the gospel, this helps us more easily extend forgiveness that we see modeled in Christ's example, right? So in the church, this should be a place where forgiveness is happening all the time because sin is not eradicated yet, and we're going to sin against each other, and we're going we're gonna to get sinned against, but there should be forgiveness just flowing right and left because we've all been forgiven, right? Um, another way that this should impact us, this, this book, as we read it, the book of Philemon, um, I think we should, we should learn to genuinely rejoice in the spiritual benefit and the eternal reward of Christian obedience. We should learn to rejoice, to be excited about this. Um, so our earthly circumstances will fade in significance when we live with an eternal perspective. Right When we think about how our actions or how somebody else's actions impact their, their heavenly reward, right? Are you content to be paid in eternal currency as opposed to dollars, as it were? Or would you put your money on the line like Paul does and says, if Onesimus owes you anything, just charge it to my account. Um, or, or, can you see your circumstances as opportunities rather than just uh, dissipating your plans? Let me let, let me give you a uh, an example. Let's say you miss a flight, um, or your flight gets canceled, and now you're stuck in New Jersey for many hours more than you want it to be? Do you just pout about it the whole time? Or do you maybe say, you know, I wonder if the Lord has me in this airport because there's someone here I need to talk to. Maybe there's someone that needs to know the Lord. I was helped by this when I got a speeding ticket recently. (laughs) I've never gotten a speeding ticket before, (laughs) and I was pretty upset. But... Just thinking through it, you know, I thought, yeah, I'm going to go to court, place that I don't, I don't usually spend a lot of time around court. But my wife said something. She said, you know, maybe there's something that the Lord wants you to talk to there. 
And to think of it that way, I would pay $500 if I could meet someone and bring them to faith in Christ and maybe see them come to Emmanuel. <laughs> I'll pay twice the ticket, right? Or maybe, maybe a friend or loved one has passed away and you have to go to their funeral and you have to take a day off work. But, you know, maybe there's an old friend that you need to connect with there and you need to share Christ with them. Do you really value that the way you should? Do you see that as more important maybe even than the time that you could have used to do something else or the money that you could have used in some other way? All right, so another practical application for us from Philemon. Um, we need to be able to rearrange our lives to serve Christ and his people. Look at verse 22. I kind of glossed over 21. So 21 says, Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. So Paul is expecting that Philemon will not only heed what he's saying, but do more. People speculate on what the more is. I think it's probably, he's probably kind of saying, he, he suggested that it would be really helpful if Onesimus could serve him in ministry. I think he's kind of hinting. I know that you're going to do even more than I'm saying right now, what I, what I sort of said before, you know. Oh, I need Onesimus. I need you to send him to me. Um, but look at, look at verse 23. It says, at the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. So we see here, at the same time, prepare a guest room for me. What is the at the same time? Like, at the same time as what? I think maybe it's, you're going to receive Onesimus back. That room that used to be his, you got to clear it out because it's going to be his. Because this is the extent that your forgiveness is going to go. But at the same time, also prepare a room for me, too. Also prepare a guest room for me because I'm coming to see you. Philemon, I'm hoping, I'm confidently expecting that through your prayers, you see the partnership, right? He's expecting that Philemon's going to be praying for him, and he has such confidence in the work of God through the prayers of the saints, he just knows, I'm going to get out of prison, and I'm going to come see you, Philemon, and we're going to all have a great time. We're going to eat shish kebab, and we're going to talk about that time when you guys used to be at Emony, and how we're all friends now, right? So are you willing to rearrange your life to, to serve Christ and his people? Well, look, very simple application. We should be willing to open up our homes to our brothers and sisters in Christ. If we can't open our homes, because, you know, maybe we just don't have the means, or my wife and I kind of have a small home. Any of you are welcome to it, though, if you ever need a place to stay. <laughs> but if you can't open up your homes, can you open up your schedule? to serve someone who needs the time to meet, to encourage, to equip, to edify. Okay, and then a final a final little practical application for us is uh, we need to pray for gospel ministry and gospel ministers. So I, I hope that you have a prayer list, and I hope that on it you have a little section for people who are who are working tirelessly in gospel ministry. Think about Paul being in prison. And knowing that he had a whole church praying for him, knowing that he had Philemon and everyone else, and, and confidently expecting that he's going to, to get out and be able to come visit them, where, where would he be without those prayers? Doesn't that make you feel a little bit guilty when you think, oh man, I haven't prayed for our missionaries? 
Did you know that in the foyer we actually have a little flip card calendar thing that has the name and the circumstances of a missionary who's serving right now? You can look at that every month. You can jot down some notes about them and pray for them. Uh, you can pray for Josh. You can pray for me. You can pray for, uh, as Josh does on a regular basis, um, for churches in the area that are seeking to reach the lost. Look, we're all into this together, right? We're partners. We're partners in the gospel. And then just look at, um, you know, Epaphras in verse 23, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus sends greeting to you. So do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke. It's easy for us to gloss over these names, but you can get a little bit from just diving into those names, right? Epaphras, we know from Colossians 1, is the one who shared the gospel with the Colossian church and brought the news to Paul of their salvation in Christ. And for all we know, Paul hasn't even met most of the Colossian church. He just heard through Epaphras that they're saved. So there's gospel work going on all around us. We ought to be praying for them, right? And so the Colossians, when they hear his name mentioned, they'd go, oh, beloved, beloved Epaphras. He's a prisoner in Christ along with Paul, and we're praying for him. And Mark, John Mark, you know, abandoned Paul on that missionary voyage, if, if we remember Acts. Um, Aristarchus also mentioned in Colossians. Demas, that's an interesting name. Man, Second Timothy 4.10. This is later on now from where Paul's writing in Philemon. Paul says, Demas in love with the world has abandoned me. Right? And we think about how valuable workers are to Paul, fellow gospel workers. And we see Demas mentioned in these letters and we think, okay, great. He's, he's going along for the ride. He's, he's given something. And then all of a sudden in 2 Timothy 4.10, he, he loves the world. So we need to pray for gospel ministers because how easy it is for them to slip and to fall. Without your prayers, I mean, I pray that I don't fall. I pray that Pastor Josh doesn't fall. But imagine what could happen if the church refused to pray. Prayer for those advancing the gospel is active participation in their ministry. It is not secondary. It is active. You are participating in the ministry when you pray to the sovereign Lord who ordains all things and listens to his people's prayers. And then the most obvious application for us of this particular point is to look at the prayer list. We have a prayer list at this church. We have an email that goes out every week. You can click on that link. You can see who needs prayer. You can pray for them, and we can be praying as a church. That's that's what that is meant to do. You can pray for our sports ministry on Wednesday, okay? You might not be the most athletic person. You might not see yourself as capable of participating in it, but you can pray for every single one of those parents that would have no other reason to be on our campus than the fact that their child is going to kick a soccer ball with us. And we just want to share Christ with them and pray. Pray for opportunities to do that. Pray for Friday basketball. Um, we're out there every Friday on the court. Uh, pray for our NC State outreach, right? I hope that we are... I hope that we can get to the end of Philemon and be uh, encouraged and invigorated with the sense of gospel partnership as members of Christ's church, that we are all working together and it is, we need to be all in. We need to be all in. There's just no other way. So Paul has given us here in Philemon, he's given us a prototype of forgiveness in a a seemingly mundane domestic situation, but it, it certainly gives us a framework for how we apply the forgiveness and restoration that we have received as Christians, how we can then apply that 
to our lives with other believers. And man, if, if someone like Philemon can forgive a guy like Onesimus who's wronged him so much, I think we ought to be willing and able to forgive our brothers and sisters in Christ when they come to us and ask for forgiveness. We gotta, we gotta be ready to extend that forgiveness right away. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word, which, uh, just helps us in so many ways. Lord, it invades our personal lives. It cuts to the division of joint and marrow and shows us where we are still lacking. And Father, I confess that I am lacking in my ability to forgive. Lord, I'm lacking in my seriousness as a a Christian, and I need you to help me. And I pray the same for my brothers and sisters here. And Lord, we praise you because you work. You work through your word. You work through the prayers of the saints. God, we just want to honor you and uh, give you glory for this day. Amen. You've been listening to Hunter Hayes, Associate Pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information and free access to other messages, go to ebcraleigh.com. That's ebcraleigh.com.